This sermon was recorded at Highway Mountain View in Mountain View, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. Thank you. That was nice to have the little piano. Uh, Good morning. As John said, my name is David. If I've taken one thing away uh, from our time together so far, it's that we should have asked Ryan and Caleb to make breakfast and lunch uh, for us today. Uh, I'm one of the pastors at our Palo Alto campus, and so I bring you greetings from the north. Uh, it's good to see. Uh, it's good to see all of you. I thought I'd start our time together with just a really easy, light-going uh, question as we start our time together. Are you free? I don't mean are you free for coffee. Uh, although if you want to get coffee, we can certainly do that. I don't mean do you have free space in your schedule. I mean are you free? Because, to quote the Apostle Paul, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. So are you free this morning? If you're like me with some reflection on that question, the answer is likely somewhere between probably and sort of. Uh, Yes, in some ways, in process, in others, no, in others, still, are you free? As we start this conversation this morning, there's two things I want us to hold on to. It's it's that the scriptures tell us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Would you pray with me? God, would you till the soil of our hearts this morning? You call us to a freedom uh, that our hearts long for, that the world that you created longs for. It's something you are inviting your creation to return to. And so I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. Would you help us hold on to you, on to your presence with us to guide our time together? I confess to you right now Uh, in front of my friends here in this room that this is in process and alive in me right now. And so, God, I pray that by your spirit you do at this time what I can't do by myself. Would you call us to your freedom? We love you. We give you this time. We pray these things in and for your name. Amen. Well, we're talking about freedom today. I hope that was clear by now. Uh, Freedom is this massive theme throughout the entirety of the scriptures, applying to literally every facet of life. And while today we're talking about freedom through a spiritual lens that doesn't take away from the fact that there are very real physical and relational and mental and emotional and communal implications to that spiritual freedom, that there are seen as well as unseen reality as to what it means to be free. There's just no way to cover it all in one day, let alone one morning, let alone one service together. So here's what we did last week. I sat with every pastor new to our staff and the church itself within the last year. Because both at our campus and here at the Mountain View campus, because fresh eyes and fresh perspective are so important to seeing things clearly, and we prayed together, and then I asked them, what do you see? 
What do you see not just in your area of ministry, but in us as a church, spilling over into even us as a church staff? Where are we free? Where are we not free? And with all the things that we could talk about, what's the right place to start? And so a lot of what I get to do this morning is represent what God was stirring up in them. And it just feels worth saying again that God has blessed us with such an incredible group of new staff this year. They highlighted some things that I'm so excited to get to share with you this morning. See, this topic of freedom comes in our series on Jubilee, which is this, frankly, really hard to imagine an all-encompassing social and economic reset rhythm that God asked the nation of Israel to live into that was like nothing else happening in the world. And freedom was a big part of that rhythm. And we're going to look at freedom today through the lens of one of those jubilee resets. But first, let's just talk a little bit about what we mean when we use the word freedom. And I actually want to spend some time on this. Because the idea of freedom is so embedded into our culture. It's like it's in the water that we drink. It's like it's in the air that we breathe. And so I want to spend just a little bit of time pushing into the freedom ideal that we live in currently. And I want to spend a lot of time with how that sits with what the scriptures say about freedom. And I'll fast forward to the end and say that I think a lot of the unfreedom that a lot of the bondage in the world actually comes as a result of this modern freedom ideal, that in so many ways we are losing the very thing that we're trying to gain. And whether we see it or not, we are taking it from so many others in the process. So let's talk about freedom now, which I realized in the first service sounds like an advocacy group. Uh, it's just a subject header. Uh, I want to start by saying uh, that this word in our modern context comes front-loaded with tons of meaning depending on your family of origin and your cultural upbringing. It's good for us to keep in mind that we bring different things with us when we talk about it and that each of us have different experiences with it. And I'll share a bit from my own experience today, but I do recognize that it's limited that because of just a handful of pieces of demographic data, I enjoy an ease in the world that a lot of people don't. And my experience with what it means to be free is all sorts of intertwined with that, which is why I am so grateful that we have the scriptures to call us to something beyond just our own personal experience. See, when I hear the word freedom, a couple of things pop into my mind. One is that scene from Braveheart. You know which one? Freedom! Now, I've, it's worth saying that I did make it a point of personal pride to not show that clip today. I will reference it a few times, though. And when I think about what freedom means, when I just let my mind filters go and see what's there, it's this idea of being able to do anything, whatever, whenever, and however I want to, liberty that no one infringes upon. And this has been something that's been alive in me for a long time, apparently. Uh, I had a default way to argue for this when I was a kid. Uh, college, to me, seemed like a time of unbridled freedom. 
and uh, to do whatever I wanted. And I would hold that over my parents' head uh, when they said no to something that I wanted to do, which is like the lamest rebellion ever. And I remember being eight or nine years old, and my favorite snack was cheese worms, uh, which is just grated cheddar cheese. <laughs> and my mom had given me what I'm sure was a reasonable portion, but I ate it quickly, asked for more. She said no, and I responded with, when I go to college, I'm going to buy a whole block of cheese. I'm going to grate it, and I'm going to eat it all. Freedom! And now what we've learned since that time is that I actually have a dairy thing. <laughs> so the consequences for that choice would have been severe. And see, to us, especially here in the West, especially here in the US, freedom usually means individual, uninfringed upon liberty, autonomy, the ability to do what we want, when we want, and how we want, and what Jubilee invites us to consider is that maybe we've got it wrong. Maybe the way the writers of Scripture and God through the Scriptures talk about freedom actually calls us to something different. What do the Scriptures have to say about freedom? Uh, let's start with Paul and that passage from Galatians 5 that we teased earlier. Now, Paul's writing this letter because this church is struggling with the question of how do we know that we're okay, which is a great question. And there was this group that was saying, like, yes, you're okay because of Jesus, but also because of the law, because of Jewish tradition and custom. You need both. And so Paul gets pretty spicy in his response. He spends most of the letter saying, you are okay because of what Jesus did on the cross. End of story. Don't go back to this mindset that you have to justify yourself, that you have to make yourself okay. It was for freedom that Christ has set you free. And then he starts to unpack what that freedom looks like. Galatians 5.13, that verse we looked at earlier. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You were called to be free, but use that freedom to love and serve each other. Don't use that freedom for the flesh. Which, what does that even mean anyway? Thankfully, we don't have to wait too long for an answer. Galatians 5, starting in verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Thanks, Paul. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft sound pretty obvious so far. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Again, finishing with the obvious ones. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, Paul's starting to complicate this idea of freedom as autonomy. And we see here in Galatians 5 that there's actually a real communal element to freedom, that freedom in the scriptures blesses the community. Do you hear that? Paul's saying you can't just do whatever you want to do. We could summarize it this way. You were called to be free, but don't use that freedom to do a bunch of stuff that hurts or takes from other people. 
Use that freedom instead to serve each other, to serve each other humbly, to serve each other in love, or we could say it this way. You are called to freedom. Just don't be free dumb. <laughs> huh? My wife told me to take that joke out. <laughs> I left it in anyway. Freedom. Freedom in the scriptures has got rails that point outward and toward serving. Can you hear how that presses against the way we think about freedom so often? And the Jubilee rhythms have this whole life, whole community element to them as well. It has, this, it has the same freedom ethic all the way back into the Old Testament. So let's take a look at freedom through the lens of Jubilee. Every seventh year, those who'd had to sell themselves into the service of another because of debt or because their crops didn't produce enough or for whatever reason, they were let go. They were freed. And they were let go, and their debt was forgiven. But something else was supposed to happen. Take a look with me at Deuteronomy 15, starting in verse 12. If any of your people, Hebrew men, or women sell themselves to you and serve you six years. In the seventh year, you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. And when I sit with that passage, uh, that all sounds great if you're the one being released. But what about the one doing the releasing? It's like not only are you going to lose the economic benefit of having this person in your service, but you've actually got to set them up with your own stuff. Don't send them away empty-handed. Give them lots of sheep and cattle. Give them lots of grain and wine. And see, I think that's because underneath this practice, there's actually two people being freed in this situation. There's the person being released from debt and service and sent out with the means to actually be able to start again. And there's the person being freed from the idea that their better circumstances make them a better person being freed from the captivity of things, being called out from under all the stuff they own before it starts to own them. Are we free this morning? We see in Deuteronomy 15 that God gives freedom. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. And we see that freedom in the scriptures gives in return. It extends freedom in response to being set free. See, freedom is something that comes from God. It's a gift that invites us to give in return, to set our eyes on others around us and see how we might be a blessing to them. And this kind of freedom mends relationships instead of breaking them. And it's actually tied to the way that God created the world to be. 
See, in Genesis 1, when God rests on the seventh day after creating everything and calls it very good, God's not talking about the perfected state of each individual element, but the relationship between them. The harmony of a universe created and ordered by God. And when sin entered the world, it fractured those relationships. The relationship between us and God. The relationship between us and ourselves. The relationship between us and each other. The relationship between us and creation. And throughout the scriptures, God is calling, God is wooing, God is drawing the world back into the freedom that comes through those relationships being reconciled. What Jesus has made a way for on the cross. And you can hear it in the Jubilee legislation. Let the land rest for a year. After seven years, forgive all debts. Every 50th year, all the property goes back to its original family, no matter what happened in the last 49. Every seventh day, stop, rest, worship, eat. Remember that I am your God who brought you out of slavery that I have set you free, and I am good. See, living deeply rooted in that reality that God in his goodness is the one who brings freedom, who gives freedom, was supposed to be underneath all the jubilee practices. But there is a consistent and persistent opposing voice in the scriptures. One that is calling and wooing and drawing the world further away from light and further into darkness, further in pursuit of what on the surface might look like freedom, but underneath it is exploitation and greed and insatiable appetite and lust and violence and despair that can so quickly bind the world that can bring out the worst in us and cause us to do incredible damage, to continue to break and take from those relationships that the cross invites to be reconciled. And there's a strategy that adversary uses that's worked since page three of the Bible. It's still active and alive in the world today. Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. See, this jubilee freedom this kind of freedom that doesn't seek its own interests, but that releases others, gives to others, blesses others, has this narrative of trusting God underneath it. And there's nothing that the enemy loves to do more than to chip away at that trust, than to chip away at how we perceive God's character, to erode 
belief that God is good. And in doing so, to call and to woo the world back into captivity, to lead us to seek out a feeling of freedom in ways that actually bind us, or that comes at the expense of those around us, that takes rather than gives, that spreads captivity instead of bringing release. Are we free this morning? And as I was in that conversation with our new staff last week, a couple thoughts hit me. Uh, The first is how important this conversation is. And the second is how Christian cliche it sounds. Freedom in Christ. Galatians 5.1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So be free. But as we sat around five pastors in an office, which sounds like the start to a terrible joke, by the way. And folks started sharing. I started sweating. I was like, oh, no. That's me. See, I hope it's okay that I share that I actually had a really hard time prepping this message. And it's because I'm somewhere in the gap. Somewhere in the gap between being set free by Christ from the broken patterns of this world and living into that freedom. And these last two weeks, all these lights came on for me about how I am stuck in ways that I didn't even see. Because we can be set free and still not live into that freedom. And I think the reason that it can sound cliche is because we can talk about it so easily but struggle so much to actually experience it, let alone extend it. And we're stuck in the gap. And as we were talking about this as a staff last week, we talked a lot about this idea of what inhibits us, what keeps us, holds us back from stepping into the freedom that God is calling us to. And the conversation kept coming back to where we find our identity, which is why I started sweating. Because there's so many voices telling us who we should be and what we should do. And then there's the race to make all of those voices happy. That there's this innate drive to please or satisfy someone or something or some group of people that keeps us tied to always trying to check the box for school or for work or whether we own a house or if we're dating or who we're dating. And at the end of the day, we're just like the Galatians, wrestling with the question of how do we know that we're okay? And in some places, we're looking to someone else or something else to tell us that we're okay. And when we do that, we sign away the freedom that God has given us. And so if we're wondering where to even begin, this conversation on freedom is huge. If we're wondering where to even start this morning, here's what I want us to prayerfully consider. Start with identity like the spiritual essence of our identity? How do we answer the question, 
Who am I? Who or what do we give the space to speak into that place in us? See, when our identity is formed in what Christ has done for us, we can live from a place of beloved daughter or son, fully worthy of affection, created with meaning and purpose, ransomed at the highest price, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, co-heir to the kingdom of God with Jesus, free to do and be who God calls us to be. If we live from this place, how would our lives be different? See, we can live out of the identity that God gives us, or we can listen to the loud voices that are right in front of us every day. We can live leveraged by still trying to meet the expectations of our parents, or trying to get into the right kind of school. Or trying to get our startup funded. Or making sure our kids are in all the activities so they don't fall behind whatever that means. Feeling like we don't fit in because we can't buy a house. Feeling like we can't make a change even though we are dying because we did buy a house. Let's think about the gap between being set free by Christ and living into the freedom that Christ offers us. What are we giving influence over our identity? Who or what are we allowing to speak into how we answer the question, who am I? And what's the connection between those two? And look, it's worth saying that pulling our identity from things that help us feel satisfied or accomplished can really work. But we can get lulled into thinking that we are free when we're actually not. We're just captive to things that are making us feel good right now. People are happy with me. I have what I want. I feel successful. And those can work. And in and of themselves, they're not bad things at all, but they're fragile. And we have to keep them up for them to work. You can see how we can get caught in them so quickly without even realizing it. And there's lots of moments in the Gospels when Jesus interacts with folks who are struggling with freedom at an identity level. There's the Jewish noble, young and already wealthy, probably the pride of his hometown. He runs to Jesus, falls on his knees, and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Mark 10, starting in verse 19, Jesus says this, You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And verse 21 is so important. It gives such an important tone and texture to this passage that many of us are familiar with. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. 
At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great Well, see, he's kept the commandment since he was a boy. And inherent in that is that he is already giving to the poor. He's not some selfish monster. But for him to follow Jesus, he won't be the rich, young ruler anymore. And that part of his identity holds him captive. There's this Samaritan woman Jesus sits with at the well. She's had some life experience. She's there by herself on off hours, probably uh, because she's either trying to avoid everyone else or she's not welcome to associate with them. And in sitting and talking with her and asking her for a drink and plainly revealing to her that he's the Messiah and that she is welcome in his kingdom, Someone who has cycled through five marriages and is on to the next. Jesus is saying, listen to me and not them. You are not the sum total of your past choices. You are not who they say you are. And with that identity shift, something inside of her gets freed. She leaves the well, runs back to her town, invites everyone to come hear Jesus. He stays there, a Jewish rabbi in Samaria, for two days. Many people in the town believe in him. Listen to me and not them. You are not who they say you are. What freedom would it bring to hear Jesus say that to us? My brothers and sisters, you are called to be free. God has given you that gift. Free from the lie that you are not who God says that you are. Free from the lie that you are what you do. Free from the lie that you have to earn affection and belonging. Free from the lie that things can't change. Free from the lie that you're unseen. And that freedom is a gift that's meant to be given. The freedom in the scriptures blesses the community. It's a gift from God that gives in return. And it's messy. And it's not straightforward. And we'll probably go back and forth in the gap a few times. But God is calling us to step into freedom to live his jubilee and to bring it into the world around us. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would, in this moment, be reteaching us what it means to be free what it feels like, what it looks like. God, we confess that your scriptures, that this religion of Christianity has brought so much bondage into the world, (laughs) where we've tried to make it about building our own kingdom. And God, we stand here before you, God, and we ask that it would be your kingdom that comes and not ours. 
that your freedom would flow through us into the world around us, and that your spirit would be working through us to bring everything back into the way that you created it to be. God, I pray that in the quiet moments this week, whether it's in the drive to work or to school, as we pause before a meal, as we go to bed, when we wake up in the morning, this thought that where your spirit is, there is freedom would be with us. Would you help us live into the identity that you've given us through your death and resurrection? Reconciled, restored, redeemed, made whole. And would that change the way that we live? change the way that we see our relationship with you, the way that we see our relationship to ourselves, the way that we see our relationship in the community and with your creation? Would we be freed from the lie that we have to take in order to make enough? Puzzle us with your generosity. May our lives reflect that this week. We love you. We pray these things in and for your name. Amen.